Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This could be the last one. Well, actually, it won't be the last time we do this, really, but it could be because our winner for this week may have already wrapped up the award for the century. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Yeah, that's right. It's the Jerk of the Week, but uh, even though we're only about a quarter of the way in, Dr. Anthony Fauci has what could be an insurmountable lead for Jerk of the Century. This week he testified behind closed doors in Congress, and some of the people there had lots of questions about a lot of things that he did that, you know, ruined the lives of millions of people. And they wanted to know what he really knew about the origination of COVID-19. But Dr. Fauci had some trouble remembering. Apparently, he said, I don't recall over 100 times. Have you said that 100 times in your life? But that's what he said in the last day or so. Imagine that. He forgot. And then when he was asked about social distancing, you know, when we were told we had to stay six feet apart from one another, which meant kids couldn't go to school, We were told we couldn't go to church, and restaurants either had to close or limit the number of people allowed in. And then, of course, all the restaurants that either went out of business or lost thousands of dollars because of that social distancing. Well, Dr. Fauci said that he really doesn't know where that six-feet thing came from. You know, somebody just kind of threw it out there, and it stuck. So, of course, he watched kids being kept off of of playgrounds, uh, people being prevented from being with their loved ones when they were dying, and just kind of, you know, went along with the theory that it was for the common good. So, how could anybody other than Dr. Anthony Fauci be the AM1250, the answer, jerk of the week? And he is the front runner for jerk of the century. We've got 70, what, 76 years left, but he could still hold on. In our second half hour, we'll have Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University who said Dr. Fauci was wrong from day one and then was canceled, deplatformed, and vilified, and who looks pretty smart right now and pretty right right now. After the break, uh, we'll talk to a woman who was fired as women's lacrosse, I'm sorry, yeah, lacrosse coach at Oberlin College for saying women shouldn't have to compete against men, imagine that, and who was part of a protest at the NCAA convention in Phoenix yesterday. Stick around. The NCAA is having its convention in Phoenix. Yesterday, several women representing the Independent Women's Forum showed up to hand-deliver a letter to the president, Charlie Baker. Kim Russell was the women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College until she was fired for, you know, questioning a man competing against or questioning men competing against women uh, in the NCAA swimming tournament at the time. She joins us now. Kim, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, John. So, um... Uh, were you in the group that hand-delivered the letter yesterday? So, yes, I was standing behind Riley, who handed off the letter to two NCAA representatives. Um, 
We had a huge group of women from not just the IWF, but other women's groups as well. We all came together to speak up and to take back women's sports. So you show up with the letter, but you wanted it to be hand-delivered to Charlie Baker. Did he show up? Uh, He did not, um, and he continues to ignore our letters, our calls, our pleas to (laughs) get back to having women only in women's sports. So did the two people who came out to meet with you and, and I guess accept the letter, did they say why Charlie Baker, the president, wasn't able to come out? They did not. Uh, they did not say uh, much of anything other than thank you. Um, they stood there and listened as Riley read through it and handed them the letter along with a binder of 70,000 signatures, including signatures from over 500 Olympians, uh, Martina Navratilova, um, uh, Donna Deladonna. I mean, I'm saying her last name wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but multiple professional athletes, uh, former Olympians, current and former NCAA champions, All-Americans, coaches, um, just the list goes on and on. Moms, dads, athletes, supporters, and, officials, coaches, you name it. Yeah. Are you? Is anybody in your group or any of the groups uh, represented in the letter really think that it, it's going to change anytime soon? Any Anybody give you any indication that anybody is showing the right people, I guess I should say, are, are, are having any sympathy for your cause? Here's what I believe, John. I believe that most people in that Board of Governors, including Charlie Baker, believe and know the truth and know what is right. And that fear is holding them back. And I believe the more of us that continue to speak up is giving courage to more people to actually make a difference. So in my mind, I will continue to believe, continue to speak up, and continue to hope that the truth is heard by everyone. Fear of whom, Kim? I mean, I think I know who you mean, but who who, who are these people that are able to scare common sense out of other people so easily? So here's the problem. Um, Most people are hearing only partial stories, and they are so afraid that the majority believes that males should be competing with females when all of us know that is not true. And they are so afraid that they will be canceled And they're so afraid that they'll hurt somebody's feelings. And they're so afraid that the mob mentality will take them out of the groups and the people they love. The truth is, when you speak up, people actually come out of the woodwork to support you. Mm -hmm. The thousands of people who have written me letters, emails, sent me direct messages, called me, because my cell phone number was listed on Oberlin's website forever. That was the number. That's not so good. I, I've had, it's actually been great, oh, really? honestly, because it's been all positive feedback. Okay. Thousands and thousands of people. And then now millions since um, I did the testimony in Congress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I am begging your audience to 
use your voice, speak up. Just by one more person speaking up, you have no idea how many people you will touch, you will reach. And I found that more coaches, more administrators, more parents are finding that courage and speaking up. So I do believe things are going to change. We're talking to Kim Russell. She's a former women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College. Uh, she represents the Independent Women's Forum. Um, um, I, yesterday, I was looking. I, I think I was just um, duck, duck going because I try not to use Google. <laughs> but I was duck, duck going. Me too. Uh, <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, I was trying to uh, look for stories about what you guys were doing down there in Phoenix, and I just happened to see the uh, uh, a link to a story. It was the AP story about your group being there with the hand, you know, with the intention of delivering the letter. But the headline was "Anti-Trans Group Plans to Present Hand-Delivered Letter to Charles ba- Charlie Baker." So just the way it was portrayed, it was not portrayed as a pro-women's thing. It's an anti-trans thing, and that's everywhere in the media. It is, unfortunately, and the truth is none of us are anti-trans. All of us are for taking care and being kind to all people, no no matter how they identify. Um, This is specifically about protecting women's and girls' rights and keeping women's and girls' sports and private spaces female only. And there is a place for everyone to play, no matter how you identify. And what I know, because of the number of people I've spoken to and the number of people I have in diverse communities, a number of trans-identifying people I know are in agreement, including Caitlyn Jenner, that biological males should not be competing in women's and girls' sports. And most Lesbians and gay men who I speak to also believe the same thing. It is a very small group of people who have been extremely loud and made it seem that there is hate. There is no hate. There is no anti-anything. This is about preserving and taking back the true meaning of Title IX, those 37 words that gave us these rights 51 years ago. Has anyone from the NCAA ever sat down with any of these women's groups, including yours, to hear their complaints? Um, No. And, you know, we've been told that um, there's a time and a place. Well, we're we're waiting for that time and place. And we're not, you know, we're not going to be patient anymore. Time and place is now. It was yesterday. So let's go. We have plenty of people who are able and willing to meet, you know, as soon as possible. I guess so we would love that meeting. Has as this as your story from you know you were you're showing up at the uh, at the convention yesterday. Has ESPN covered it at all? I have not seen anything on ESPN um, on on it. Um, I can't give you you know an answer because I have not seen yeah. all of the media. Yeah, I, I've been looking and I I haven't seen it, so I, they're not going to they're going to ignore it. Um, but there have been, I guess, more examples of men ruining women's sports in Virginia and New Jersey swimming recently. Is that true? It is absolutely true at both Roanoke College and at Rampanel in New um, New Jersey. And and here's the thing, John: it's not just one 
um, woman or girl who is affected. It is an entire team who then has to be in a locker room undressing with a fully intact male. It is a position on a team being taken away, that opportunity being taken away um, by a male on a female's team, on a women's team, right? And that then affects ability to get awards. Right now, we are erasing women's names off of awards at all levels, off of records at all levels, because males are taking those. And it is egregious. This is, this is egregiously taking away rights of girls and women, opportunities for them. And it is affecting. So, so we talk about, you know, being kind and being concerned about the mental and emotional well-being of the trans-identified athlete. How about every single girl and woman who is in a locker room or bathroom and all of a sudden is asked to not mind that a fully intact male is undressing in there. And how does that affect her, not just in that moment, but then ability to compete? And how does that affect her for the rest of her life? And feeling like nobody cares about her. And she was taught, you know, if you're in an uncomfortable, well, at least this is what I teach my girls and taught, all the girls I coached, if you're in an uncomfortable situation, you speak up. Now we're telling our girls and women, don't speak up. So we're putting them at risk. How do they know when they go into a bathroom that some male who's in there isn't a predator? How right. do we know that? They don't. What are we doing? What are we teaching our girls and women to be quiet? This is going back. We are going backwards in time. What happened to you at Oberlin? Um, so I thought in the spring of 2022, when I saw what was happening with Leah Thomas winning all these swimming events, I was sure that it was going to stop, that somebody was going to have some common sense and this was not going to be allowed. And it continued until a male, Leah Thomas, won the 500 free and displaced how many minute women in that event when you go all the way down the line, right? Mm -hmm. To every time Leah got in a pool, that meant another woman not having an opportunity to swim. So how many women were removed from abilities to swim? So what happened was when Leah won the 500 free at the national level in a national championship, I reposted on my personal Instagram story um, a post that a good friend of mine, who I will tell you is happens to be a lesbian, posted that said, congratulations, to Emma Wayant, the real woman winner of the 500-yard freestyle. And my own words at the top were, what do you believe? I can't be quiet anymore. I've spent my entire life playing, coaching, and starting programs for girls and women. And I was immediately, um, that post was sent to our athletic director, um, I was told, I was called in to have a meeting with my athletic director and associate athletic director. Um, I was told that I was now being identified as a member of a hate group. I was told I had to have a meeting with my entire team with a moderator present. Um, I was told that that meeting was not enough a week later and that I was going to need to be in a meeting with my entire team. 
with my athletic director, with the Title IX director for the entire college, and with another administrator. And in that meeting, every player from my team could voice anything they wanted to about me with those three administrators present, and that I would have to repeat everything, every single one of them said back to them so they would know that that they had been heard. And then when one player read four pages of positive things about me, um, that I was <laughs> was told, well, actually the um, Title IX director from the whole college said, well, that was a lot. Um, can I just summarize that by saying, Kim and the assistant coach have done a lot of good things for you as coaches. Um, so it was quite the event. Um, it went on for an hour and 42 minutes. And after that meeting, not one of those three administrators reached out to me to see if I was okay, um, not by email, not by text, not by phone call, not by a stop in to my office. I coached the whole rest of that season. Um, and, you know, to show you the disconnect, I don't blame the girls for this at all. The people on my team, they are like my own kids. Um, I believe they are basically part of what has happened because of the messages that are being sent out. Um, and, you know, the one who passed on the message to the athletic director, she then reached out to me three days later and said, hey, um, could you please write a reference for me? Could, I, could you be a reference on my job application? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you, so, I'm, run, I'm running out of time. I've got about yeah. a minute and a half left here with uh, Kim Russell former women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College. Um, I have about a minute and a half. When these people uh, you just described, their reaction to your uh, your post on Instagram, were they saying they disagreed with you, or were they saying they disagreed with your um, freedom to say it? Did they actually think you uh, were wrong, or they just didn't want you to say it? No, they, a lot of them thought I was wrong. And the ones who... There were also, I would say, probably the majority who agreed were too afraid to speak because they did not want to lose, you know, in girls and women's sports, community is most important. That team feeling where I believe in men's sports, you know, they'll hit each other and then be buddies five minutes later Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. competing and winning is is more, you know, their style. Well, yeah, I've said for a long time, this would not happen with men. No. The the equivalent of this would be, I've used this comparison before, if I were coaching a 12-and-under baseball team and uh, I had a game scheduled and the, the opposing team showed up with two 16-year-olds, who one of, whom, one of whom was going to pitch, there would be no game. Exactly. That's it. Well, this is too stupid. Not because of anything political or cultural. I just, I'm a man. I know what sports are supposed to be. It's supposed to be competition. It's supposed to make it fun. It has to be a, a, as Fair. close as you can get to a level playing field. If you show up with a 16 year old to pitch against 12 year olds, it's dumb. I'm not doing it. I'm not putting my kids up against that. And that wouldn't be any more complicated than that. It isn't complicated. Biology of males and females are different, just like yeah. biology of 16 year olds. Pitchers and 12-year-old pitchers are. That's right. Well, hey, Kim, I'm out of time. I really like what you're doing there. I hope to have you on again. And I still think that the only solution is for the girls to just stop competing. When a man shows up like the like the high school basketball team did in California, yeah. 
just show and and it has to be the girls on the same team with the guy have to say we're not we don't want the guy on the team if he's on we're out that's the only way it's going to work yeah and roanoke swimmers did that and so proud of them for using their voices and standing up good thank you kim very much hope to talk again all right thanks so much john okay that's kim russell we'll be right back Way back in uh, March of 2020, at the height of the COVID-19 hysteria, I happened to come across an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled, quote, uh, Is the Coronavirus as Deadly as They Say? Unquote. It was written by Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine at Stanford University. I called, and he was nice enough to come on the show. I just saw it that morning, and he was on that afternoon. Well, I think you probably know a lot has happened since then, and Jay joins us again now. Jay, good to have you back on. Thanks. Great to have me back on, John. Thanks for uh, thanks for all for years of uh, of, of uh, letting me talk to your audience. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the latest from Doctor Fauci, um, can you tell us what you said in your original piece, uh, and you know, I guess maybe the Cliff Notes version, uh, and how it was received, and how you were treated after that. Sure. Uh, so basically what it said is that at the time, this is March 2020, remember, we didn't know how many people had had COVID and recovered. And it called for a, uh, basically a study, an antibody study, seeing how many people had antibodies. Because we just had these, like, we had very insufficient testing, and they were, like, only looking at people in the hospital. And they had a death rate that was really, really high because everyone who got really sick showed up. But lots of people who didn't get that sick didn't show up. Um, and so we were undercounting the number of people that had had it. And so it called for a study to measure it. Uh, I actually ended up doing that study, John. Uh, in April of 2020, we found that the death rate from COVID was 0.2 out of 1,000, not 3.4 out of 1,000, 3.4 out of 100, which is what the uh, World Health Organization was saying. And um, uh, basically, that's what, what's turned out to be true. I mean, a lot of studies did the same, very similar things in 2020, found that there was a huge death, death rate for older people, but not very, very small, low death rate for younger people. And for me, I faced all kinds of like recriminations. Uh, my, the, my university went after me. Uh, the media went after me. They, t- uh, they was hit pieces on my wife and my family. It, was just, it led to a really difficult time. So these are supposed to be pretty smart people who come up with these numbers. How could they have been off by that much unless it was purposeful? Well, I think uh, the problem was that they they, they thought that uh, they knew the answer to the the the, the, the pandemic. They would if we just the, the World Health Organization, uh, I, actually, frankly, even unfortunately, the Trump administration, um, the, the, a whole bunch of governments around the world thought if we just copied what China did by locking down Wuhan, we could get rid of the virus. They did it. The China did it in January 2020 by, you know, draconian uh, you know, policies that violated the civil rights of basically everyone in Wuhan. Um, well, why, why can't the rest of the world do the same thing and the virus will go away just like it did in China? Um, and I think the only way you could get that is if you scare the living daylights out of people, John. And so I think par- partly not telling the public the truth that we didn't know how deadly the disease actually was because we hadn't done the studies, that wouldn't have allowed uh, the, the creation of a political campaign in favor of lockdowns. So, in other words, it had to be purposeful. They had to know that they were scaring people unnecessarily. I mean, they certainly knew they were scaring people. I, I think if you'd ask them, 
whether it was wise to do that, they would say, well, uh, we just need to be careful. Mm-hmm. What if it's as deadly as we say? Well, then we need to do what we what 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 we what China did, and therefore it's okay to do this to scare. The, I mean, I don't think it's ethical, and I don't think it's right, but that's exactly what happened. What was the Great Barrington Declaration? Uh, the Great Barrington Declaration was a do- document that I wrote with Sunetra Gupta and Martin Kuldorf of Harvard and Oxford in uh, October of 2020. It called for focus. Focus protection of vulnerable older people. As I said, John, the disease, especially for was in 2020 when very few people had ever seen the disease um, and had no immunity, it was really bad for older people. Um, so we call for better focus protection of older people and then lifting lockdowns, opening schools, opening businesses so that younger people could get along with their lives. Because what we were seeing was that the harm from the lockdowns was killing and causing tremendous harm to young, to, to basically everyone in the population, but certainly younger people. And, no, and, they were, and they were not working to protect older people. And so that's what we were calling for, lifting lockdowns and better protection of older people. And, um, of course, everybody thought that was a great idea and ran with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you had me on the show, Sean, several times around this. Yeah. Uh, what happened was instead is a propaganda campaign orchestrated by the American government. Um, there was an email from the head of the National Institute of Health, Francis Collins and Tony Fauci, four days after we wrote it, calling for a devastating takedown of the, of the Great Branton Declaration and its authors. Uh, I mean, again, there was this huge round of like hit pieces, uh, basically slander and attack lies about my funding. We paid, we got paid nothing for the Great Brand. I've taken zero dollars of funding for all of my COVID work. Um, uh, I mean, I, 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 and yet uh, there was all this slander and attacks on me. Uh, and it was it was really disgusting. And then then it was censored uh, so that most Americans probably never heard of it except through listening to you, maybe John. Yeah. So um, again, it it could only be purposeful. That they saw which you you came up with at the uh, the the Great Barrington Declaration, which was, uh, I think you just mentioned, or if you didn't, uh, it was signed on to by thousands of other doctors uh, and scientists. Um, that this can't be allowed to be out there because what we're trying to push here isn't going to work if people read this. That's exactly right, John. I, the purpose of the attack on on the Great Barrington Declaration was that it it was telling the, the American public. And in fact, in fact, the world public that there was no scientific consensus in favor of lockdowns. There were tens of thousands of prominent doctors, you know, Stanford, Harvard, Oxford, you name it, that were against the lockdowns because they're scientifically unjustified. And so you had scientific authorities like in the government, like Tony Fauci, basically viewed it as a threat to their own authority. They viewed it as, you know, it's like a high pope Tony Fauci says, I'm infallible. And now you have these like priests on the side that are saying, oh, that he's wrong. Well, he has to destroy us. That's the only way he can maintain the illusion of consent, that there was a scientific consensus when, in fact, there wasn't. It was a lie about the lockdowns, that there was consensus of the lockdowns. Was a, a, that was a lie. And in order to maintain that lie, they had to do a devastating takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration. Okay, so uh, here we are in 2024. Um, have we, we actually reached the point now where it's a, more about uh, talking about what Fauci got right instead of what he got wrong, like trying to find something he might have gotten right? <laughs> I mean, it is truly incredible how basically every single prominent 
uh, uh, decision that could be made, it seems like Fauci was on the wrong side of it. Uh, should schools have closed? Well, no. In Sweden, they didn't close, and yet they, they had better results than we did. Um, should, what, is there immunity after COVID recovery? Well, yes. Fauci premised his recommendations about vaccines against that, uh, that basic scientific fact, and his opposition to the Great Barrington Declaration. Should we have had lockdowns at all? No. Again, countries that didn't lock down, like Sweden, actually had protected human life better. Florida had better all-cause excess deaths than California did through the, since the start of the pandemic. Uh, you, you name the issue, and it is hard to find an issue that Fauci got correct. What, at what point do you think he knew that what he was telling people about the vaccine was a, a hot pile of steaming horse manure? <laughs> I mean, I think um, if you see his public statements from early on to, to later, he gets more and more defensive around the back. So like initially he says, if you get the vaccine, you can't get it and can't spread it. Mm-hmm. Well, there wasn't any scientific evidence that proved that. The, the randomized trial didn't even look at whether vaccine prevented transmission. He shouldn't have been saying that. It was outside of his expertise because it was outside of everyone's expertise. There wasn't scientific evidence to say what he said. And then when it became clear that the vaccine didn't stop transmission, I mean, you could see him try to pivot. Um, and it was, it, was, um, it was one of these things where, like, honest uh, science communicators in prominent public health, if, that, if someone like that had been in that role, what they would have done is that they would have leveled with the public. They would have told the public, well, we thought that it might protect you against uh, getting the disease, but obviously it doesn't. Um, we still believe that for older people it might, might be important because if we believe it protects you against severe disease. Um, we're starting to find side effects, in, especially in young men um, who take the, the, the mRNA vaccines. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a humility there would have been the right thing, but instead he kept doubling down over and over and over again in positions that were not scientifically justifiable. And we're talking to Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine at Stanford University and one of the co-authors of the, the Great Barrington Declaration, which will go down in history as the, the declaration that declared what was wrong about everything that the government was doing <laughs> to uh, try to prevent you from getting COVID. Uh, but, but uh, Jay, he testified, Fauci did in front of Congress behind closed doors a couple of days ago, and he said he couldn't, it wasn't public, but he said he, he couldn't recall over 100 times. What do you make of that? <laughs> you know, John, that's actually an improvement. In the Missouri versus <laughs> Biden lawsuit, I, uh, we deposed him, uh, my lawyers deposed him eight, for, for eight hours in 2022. And he's in, during those eight hours, he said, I don't recall 179 times wow. on basic factual issues. Uh, so 100 times is definitely an improvement. Uh, apparently, those well, 79 fewer, I don't recall. Uh, it's it's actually a scandal, John. Can you give uh, me an a- is, example of something he couldn't recall? Like a main... A, a, I, mean, I, I mean, like there are things like uh, when the, the answers to questions like you said, when did you first know that the, that the vaccine doesn't stop transmission? Yeah. Uh, when did you, what, did, did you, co- did you have a, a call with Francis Collins, your boss, to coordinate this devastating takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration, things you know, base, basic questions that he should should have remembered, yet he under oath could not recall. Yeah, um, and, and if you go to testify, um, you, you're, I guess, I mean, if I were being called in to testify, I would do some kind of um, studying of my 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 performance to to be able to answer those questions, so that I wouldn't look like a liar. I know. I, mean, I think that the issue is like 
for some people, and uh, normally scientists, when we get things wrong, you know, like to be a scientist is to get things wrong. We have hypotheses that turn out that the data don't support all the time. Yep. I mean, otherwise you're not a good scientist. You make you make hypotheses and you see if it's right. And when it's not right, you say, oh, that hypothesis was wrong and you move on to the next one. He's not acting like a scientist here. He's acting like a, a politician who's been caught out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is a huge problem for the main science advisor for the, for the president for the pandemic. I mean, uh, you know, he brags, he gets, he gets awards about being advising seven presidents over, over the course of decades on infectious disease policy. Well, I mean, it seems to me like they, they must have gotten bad advice from someone who so, uh, has so much pride that he can't accept that he was wrong on basic things. And, he, and then um, he, won't, he won't admit it. The problem now, John, is that we are in a situation where uh, if another pandemic happens, we will have another lockdown again. The people who did these made these decisions are giving themselves awards. Politically, the Democratic Party, for instance, I've testified in Congress, they're, they're defending these decisions as if they turned out right. Um, and it's really unfortunate. I mean, it shouldn't, public health should never be a partisan thing. It should just be, there's no Democrat or, or, or Republican part in public health. It just should be public health. And what you have now is a political situation where the mistakes that 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 our leaders made during the pandemic are not being acknowledged, and because of that, the same mistakes will happen again and again and again the next time there's a pandemic. Pretty scary. Um, he actually said the whole six feet social distancing thing. Uh, yeah, it just kind of happened. You know, I don't know where the six feet thing came <laughs> from. And when you think of all the things and the damage and the lives that were destroyed just by telling people they couldn't. They weren't allowed to be within six feet of each other. I mean, that was phantom science, John, voodoo science. There was no scientific justification for six feet of distancing for virus that spread by aerosols, like through the air. It can go hundreds of feet if, the, if you don't have good ventilation in a room, for instance. So, and you're absolutely right, John. How could you have open schools uh, when every desk has to be six feet apart, there's not enough room in the in the uh, there's not room in the rooms for desks six feet apart. Mm-hmm. Businesses close, small businesses close because of the six feet. Um, people, the, the central sin there was basically public health was telling everyone that you need to treat your neighbor as a biohazard. That every single person, whether they look like they're sick or not, is a is a threat to you. Well, that destroys relationships, it destroys people, it creates depression and anxiety on mass scale, and it destroys economies. And it was based on nothing. There was no science behind it, John. And he should have known better. Well, I think he did. <coughs> yeah. But was there any reason to believe he didn't know better at some <coughs> point? I mean, the, the, the admission that he gave uh, to the, the congressional... Um, uh, uh, people, you know, the, the folks in Congress asking yeah. questions was 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 remarkable. I mean, he basically says that there was no science. That must, he, that means even then he must have known there was no science. Or at the very, at the very, just if we're going to be charitable, at the very least you can say he's like, look, he's a science advisor. He should have asked, is there any science, and then done some homework. But he didn't do his homework. He just accepted it and then parroted it on TV as if it were like, you know, the science itself. Finishing up here with Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University. Jay, have you seen enough in the last few months to believe that there are lots of people who were in positions of power who need to be held accountable? And the second part of that is, do you think that'll ever happen? 
I mean, absolutely, John. I do think that there needs to be accountability. The, the nature of it, of the accountability, I don't know. I mean, I, I think like someone like Tony Fauci, who's likely responsible, certainly supported very dangerous research that might even have led to the pandemic itself and then led the pandemic response to cause so much harm. I mean, the, the, the kind of things that he's done, he's going to go down in history as one of the worst scientists, public health leaders in, uh, who did the most damage in history. Um, for some, I don't know if that's enough of a, of a kind of uh, uh, accountability, but that is at the very least what's going to happen. Um, will it, will anything more than that happen? I don't know, John. I mean, that's just beyond me. It's, it'll take a political um, uh, turn in the political uh, uh, fortunes in order for that to happen, at least in the United States. And, well, uh, you know, what, I, I'm very bad at predicting that. What are the chances uh, that the next time we have a pandemic that he's dragged out again to be the person we're supposed to listen to? The media will, won't they? Well, I mean, there'll be they, they will, but the next time there will be some pushback. I mean, now I think a very large fraction of the country now distrusts him, and it's you can see why. I mean, he's given the country a, a lots of reasons to distrust him. Um, I, I do think that a lot of the people, I mean, he had, the Georgetown gave him a professorship. He's getting awards. Um, so there certainly is a danger of what you say that that if uh, that if there's another pandemic, people that there will be a, a substantial fraction of, of political leaders will look to him. Wow, pretty scary. Hey Jay, I always appreciate ha- uh, you coming on. By more than that, I appreciate what you did, and it's finally you're you're finally being proven to be right universally, and I think it's great. And I want to have you on again whenever. Uh, well, actually, it'd be good if I didn't have to have you on again, but. Uh, I hope there's not another pandemic. I love talking to you, John, but I agree. It's better if I could just go back to doing research quietly. I appreciate it, Jay. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye now. See ya. That's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. We'll be right back. Well, if you need me on Sunday at around uh, 1 o'clock, I'll be watching the Steelers uh, playing the Buffalo Bills. I will not be in um, Buffalo. And boy, am I glad. The uh, I'm hearing some of the weather forecasts. They're talking about wind chills, three degrees, uh, huge winds, lots of snow. And I'll actually enjoy watching the game on television. I, I'll be warm. I'm, and so will the guys in the uh, and the women in the press box because they'll be in a heated press box. Uh, so playing games at night. In mid-January, was always kind of a dumb idea, but they have to do it because of TV. They have so many games now. They used to de- decide the NFL championship. It was usually usually before Christmas. A couple of times, I think it was a couple of days after Christmas, but it it was December. There was never there were never games in January, and then the Super Bowl came along, and they they played those games in an, on an, at a neutral site where it's warm. So. Um, I don't envy anybody who has to drive up to Buffalo. I think you're insane, actually, if you do, because some of the weather forecasts I've heard, you don't, if you've never dealt with lake effect snow going from here to Buffalo, you don't want to be in it. You could be driving along and, uh, and it's be clear. There, the, the roads will have nothing on them. And all of a sudden, you will be in an area that has a foot of snow. And it's a band of about a few miles. It'd be like, like being in Sewickley, and it's pretty clear, and you get to Wexford, and there's a foot of snow. That's that's what lake effect snow can be like. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration. But uh, it's going to be ugly, and I think the NFL is kind of dumb for uh, playing these games, but I don't think they can avoid it because um, 
because they they have to have these games in January. They got to be played in January. There's so many games now, so many playoff games. They got to be on national TV, and that, you know what national TV likes prime time. Well, they're not getting that on Sunday, but they're getting it tomorrow for Kansas City, and they're talking about a wind chill of like minus twelve at kickoff at eight o'clock. Should be really nice by the time the second half comes along. So enjoy the football. Again, if you need me, I'll be nice and warm on the couch and glad I'm not in Buffalo covering it as I would have been 20 years ago or so. Talk to you on Monday.